This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to Gosh Pods. Today marks the start of World Breastfeeding Awareness Week 2023. And so all this month on Gosh Pods, we're going to be focusing on topics relating to breastfeeding. In this first two-part episode, I'm going to be talking to Lindsay Hookaway, author of book and website Breastfeeding the Brave. She's going to be talking to me about her work investigating the specific challenges of breastfeeding hospitalised and medically complex children, the experience of mothers breastfeeding these children, and what we can do as healthcare professionals to support these families. Hi, I'm Emma. I'm the Digital Education Fellow at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And I am so delighted today to be joined by Lindsay Hookaway, who is an internationally board certified lactation consultant with a background in paediatric and public health nursing. But she's also just an all round guru on everything to do with breastfeeding, holistic sleep coaching, responsive parenting. And I would highly advise any parents of little ones to follow her on Instagram, just on a personal note. So thank you so much for joining us today, Lindsay. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Lindsay, could you start just by telling me a bit about your career and how you became interested in the subject of breastfeeding? Yeah, sure. So most people get interested in breastfeeding after having their own babies and breastfeeding them. That wasn't what happened to me. I was a brand newly qualified paediatric nurse and I was doing a night shift. And my one of my first little patients was a three-day-old baby who was readmitted to the peds ward with fairly good going jaundice. And he was just in for the usual double phototherapy and all of that stuff. And he came onto the ward with his mum, who was sort of you know, three days post cesarean section and waddling up the ward. Bless her. We've all been there. Well, many of us have been there. Not very nice at all. And I kind of dusted down the breast pump once I realized that she was breastfeeding, although that wasn't going well because the poor love was so jaundiced. I made her a cup of tea. I sat down with her. She started crying. I panicked slightly. I mean, I was, you know, 21 years old and I'd had had no training in breastfeeding, but I thought, crikey, I've got to try and, you know, pull something out of the bag here. So we somehow managed to get the breast pump working and somehow I managed to help her get some milk. No thanks really to any skill that I had because I was not in possession of any breastfeeding skill at that point, but more because luckily for me, breastfeeding is a lot about relationships and feeling safe and feeling cared for and all I really did that was useful in any way, apart from provide the breast pump out of the you know dusty old equipment cupboard, was to encourage her and tell her that she was fabulous and that her baby was beautiful and that we'd soon have her out of there. And you know all of that stuff that you say when you're just trying to be a, a good human, it wasn't anything to do with nursing really. But that was it. Breastfeeding came and got me and I, I just... I found my niche that that was what I wanted to do and uh, you know I realized that the more I kind of worked with these little ones on the pediatric ward the more I realized that the pediatric ward was really not a very good place to have a breastfeeding crisis because it just wasn't set up to support breastfeeding you know I was lucky to have found a breast pump because 
actually a lot of pediatric wards don't even have a designated breast pump. So it's sort of been a, a 20 plus year love affair really between me and breastfeeding support. And of course I did go on and do additional training and I've now just finished my PhD exploring all of this stuff. And irony is a funny thing. I never wanted to be an oncology nurse, but my own daughter is a sepsis and ALL survivor and we breastfed through all of that nonsense as well. So just on a number of levels, but yeah, I, I guess mostly because I've been professionally interested in it for 20 years. This is where my career has taken me, I suppose. Could you tell me a little bit more about your PhD that you're just just finishing? Yeah, so that honestly, is, it, it's been the most fun four years, genuinely. Uh, there have been some dodgy moments that probably I will forget instantly, but I, I really wanted to dig in a lot deeper into what evidence exists about breastfeeding sick children in paediatrics and what kind of unique challenges these littles are experiencing and what we can do in paediatrics to make it better. Essentially, that's more or less what I've spent the last few years of my life doing. And it turns out there really isn't very much research into breastfeeding sick children. Most of what we have is quite dated. You know, when, when I say I've almost added 25% of the literature to this subject. Uh, I'm not exaggerating because there really is such a dearth of information on breastfeeding children in paediatrics as opposed to breastfeeding children in the neonatal population or just breastfeeding in general in healthy term little ones. So yeah, it, it was a, a very, very big gap in the literature and I just wanted to I don't know, dig into it, I suppose. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And we'll hopefully touch on some of the things that you've been finding out about a bit later in the episode. One of the things that you mentioned talking about that experience in your first week as a, a newly qualified nurse was just the fact that nothing really in your training had prepared you for that moment. And I think that's quite a common theme amongst healthcare professionals that they maybe feel that their training hasn't really prepared them for some of this stuff. Yeah. I suppose with that in mind, what do you hope that healthcare professionals who are listening to this might get out of these two podcasts? I think the first thing that I would hope is that they have a greater sense of awareness of the uniqueness of paediatric breastfeeding support. This is a very, very unique part of lactation support because Obviously, in paediatrics, you know, we see children from virtually birth all the way up to 16. I've never met a breastfed 16-year-old, but I've certainly met lots and lots of school-age children who are being breastfed. We know that's not very common in the UK, but it does happen. And the skills to support children in paediatrics aren't in place. And by and large, that's through no fault of the dedicated healthcare professionals who are trying to work to support them, to assess and treat and manage their conditions. But it does mean that if these littles are breastfed, parents often get this sense that there's nobody really who knows how to help them. Because unfortunately, if they go to the community, people have generally been trained in how to support well children, or they're very, very good at supporting preterm neonates and helping mothers to express breast milk, but the chances are they will not 
encounter somebody who actually has those dual skills of lactation support alongside clinical management of children with sometimes fairly complex conditions. We know from lots and lots of research that exists around some of the specific feeding challenges that accompany children of different gestational ages. For example, we know about how the acquisition of feeding skills and sucking and swallowing sort of oral coordination happens, for example, in the preterm population. But there's just this massive black hole in children who are unwell beyond the neonatal period. So it, it means that these little ones are sort of at sea, really. And so I suppose I do hope that professionals begin to have an understanding that we're talking about a very unique set of children and challenges here. That's the first step. I think awareness is always going to be the first thing to make things better. I think the benefits of breastfeeding in, you know, the general population in healthy preterm and term neonates are very well understood. We know that breastfeeding is beneficial. If we're thinking particularly about unwell or hospitalized children, are there any additional benefits that breastfeeding confers over and above that vast array of kind of the normal things that we tend to think about? Yeah. So in a way, this is a tricky question because we do not have any data. Again, unfortunately, a lot of the literature thus far has looked at breastfeeding being preventative intervention to reduce the risks of acquiring particular conditions. So we know, as you mentioned, that breastfeeding reduces the risk of atopic, infectious, malignant and autoimmune diseases. But we don't actually have any data at all on how it might modulate the disease trajectories if children get those conditions. And that's really important because for a lot of the parents that I work with, they say things like, oh my gosh, you know, I did everything right in quotation marks. You know, I breastfed exclusively. They never had a cold and now they've got cancer or now they've got meningitis or now they've got, you know, whatever. And I think it's really important that we remember that breastfeeding does not prevent all illnesses and, you know, that it has no role at all, of course, in congenital conditions or accidents, trauma. You know, there are lots of things that it has literally no role in. So actually, the truth is that breastfeeding confers a normal rate of acquired disease. And as uncomfortable as this sounds, what that also means is that formula feeding increases the risk of infectious, atopic autoimmune and malignant diseases. And so we have to start from the fact that breastfeeding is not going to prevent everything bad from happening to a little one. Some littles are optimally fed and still get unwell. But we also now need to start getting some research about how breastfeeding might mitigate some of the, either the iatrogenic illnesses that they might be susceptible to. So for example, if children are immune compromised, might breastfeeding mitigate some of the additional illnesses that they might be susceptible to? We don't know. There's a little bit of evidence that it might reduce the number of ventilator days in children with acute respiratory compromise. Again, this research is borrowed from the neonatal population, so I, I literally cannot tell you what it would do in the paediatric population. There was a recent mouse study that found that Human milk oligosaccharide, which is a, a non-nutritional prebiotic in human milk, actually prevents 
the breakdown of the intestinal mucosa, which essentially means that mice who are fed with human milk don't get mucositis when they're exposed to multiple high-dose chemotherapy. And given that mucositis is an extremely debilitating condition for little ones on chemotherapy, this could be very significant. And it's interesting to me because I've supported dozens and dozens of breastfed children on various different cancer pathways. And they have a very, very low rate anecdotally of mucositis, even when they're undergoing bone marrow transplant and multiple high-dose chemotherapy. And that may be one explanation. We know that some children who are having major gut and bowel surgery seem to recover quite quickly. And that may be because of various factors in milk, such as glutamine. There's epidermal growth factors in human milk. We know that it impacts the microbiome. So there are lots of hypothetical reasons why breast milk might be really important for children who are already unwell and needing to be both cared for clinically, but also still receiving breast milk. It's not an unreasonable thing to hypothesize that these children may be getting huge benefits from breastfeeding above and beyond the in inverted commas, preventative nature of some of the other illnesses that it might be mitigating. Yeah, absolutely. And what about benefits to the mother if their child is hospitalised? Because I could imagine that there could be quite a few benefits to mum as well if breastfeeding is able to continue. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the research that I've done has looked at that specifically. And again, from the limited data that we have, breastfeeding gives parents a sense of self-efficacy. It gives all of the parents in my studies identified as mothers. So I'll use the term mother. They felt more involved. They felt that breastfeeding helped them to feel part of the solution as opposed to just a spare part in PICU, for example. It helped comfort them and calm them down, which actually makes physiological sense because of the hormones that are released during breastfeeding. So a lot of mothers described a sense of everything was falling apart. They had no control over anything, but actually this was one thing that they could do. It was one thing that nobody else could do. And it kind of gave their day purpose. It made them feel like there was a reason for them to be on the ward when, as I said, everything else might've been falling apart. It helped them feel like they needed to be there and their child needed them and that this was a, a multi-purpose act. It was immunology, it was pain relief, it was nutritional, it was fluids that would stay down and wouldn't get, you know, vomited due to profound nausea or whatever. So I think a lot of the parents could see in front of them the reasons why they were bothering, even though it was really difficult. So they, they had this sense that, oh my gosh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. However, it's really important. It's important to me, it's important for my self-esteem, my self-efficacy, my sense of involvement, but it's also, I can tell through my child's breastfeeding behaviour that they are deteriorating or getting better. A lot of mothers describe this sense that they were able to pick up on these clinically relevant micro changes in their child's condition that they wouldn't have been aware of if they hadn't been breastfeeding because the way their child fed was distinctly different during times of deterioration or, or improvement, if that makes sense. 
So it was really important for them on a number of different levels, but mostly what they were describing was it was this sense of it being comforting. It was a parenting tool. Whatever the problem was, they could pretty much fix it with breastfeeding up to a point. I'm not suggesting that we can, you know, solve all problems. And again, we, we have so little evidence about how far we can rely on breastfeeding as something like pain relief, for example. And um, we've got really good systematic review data looking at breastfeeding for pain relief for minor procedures like heel sticks, for example, and post-vaccination pain. But actually, the mothers in my study were describing profound pain relief for cannulation, for more sort of significant procedures, for post-surgical pain. One child in my study had intractable pain from ileus and morphine and ketamine weren't working, but breastfeeding did. Again, I'm not suggesting that it's more potent than Oromorph, but for that child, perhaps because of the psychological connection, perhaps because of the nurture, perhaps it was the combination of ketamine and breast milk, I have no idea, but there was something that had added value about breastfeeding. And that mother found that hugely empowering. She felt like, actually, do you know what? My child is in a whole world of pain here, but I can fix it by doing this one thing that actually helps me feel involved and connected and, you know, like I have purpose as well. So it, it, it was so complicated because it sort of reached into almost every area of the child's care. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, it, it's completely understandable that it would make such an impact on the mother. And, you know, I think any mother who's had some experience breastfeeding will have experienced that kind of magic of having an inconsolable child who settles and calms and is happy the minute you, you put them on the breast and they feed. So I can definitely see why that would be even more pronounced potentially in, in unwell yeah. children. How does breastfeeding fit into that whole concept of family-centered care that we should be aiming to provide in pediatric settings? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, this was the thing that kind of blew me away 20 years ago. We know we sat in lecture after lecture about the importance of family-centered care and parents as partners in care and involving families and thinking about the wider culture and what's important to the family and all of that stuff. And I listened dutifully like all good students should but none of it none of it made as much sense to me as when that first mother walked down the ward with her jaundiced baby and I suddenly realized what family-centered care was all about it was actually that that mother and that child were not two people really they were one person and I couldn't possibly make that little one better oh, the lights helped a bit but, uh, you know, there's, there was no way that I could nurse him better without also caring for his mother. And that involved things like, you know, finding some bedding for that bed. That involved making her feel comfortable. That involved finding out what she needed. That involved making her a cup of tea. That involved a whole load of things that weren't actually clinical at all. And for me, breastfeeding is a perfect example of how family-centered care should work because Breastfeeding is an important part of a parenting decision and a, a way of mothering and parenting that is valuable and meaningful. And just as we would be respectful as clinicians of a family's need for culturally competent care and culturally safe care, and, and we wouldn't dream of denying them 
a culturally appropriate meal, for instance, why should something like breastfeeding be any different at all? Why should we not also make the same effort to value the way that they have chosen to provide nutrition for their child? So for me, it was just a no-brainer. I, I, I just couldn't see why everybody else wasn't feeling like this was a huge priority in pediatric care. But again, this comes back to so many little things that impact on breastfeeding. Things like bed sharing, like, you know, how we care for other siblings at home who may also be breastfed, for example. You know, how we feed people in hospital. That's the whole podcast in itself, really. I have strong feelings on that. Yeah, breastfeeding kind of is part of family-centered care in a really, really fundamental way, I think. Yeah, I think that's really true and, and really important. We've talked a bit about how breastfeeding could impact on a child or a child's illness. Turning that around, what are the impacts of child illness on breastfeeding? How does it affect breastfeeding or the, the breastfeeding relationship between the mother and a child? Yeah, this is where it gets really interesting because obviously in pediatrics, we see children from naught to, you know, 16. The World Health Organization recommends breastfeeding for a minimum of two years alongside solid foods, but for as long as it's mutually desired by mother and child. So realistically, we're talking about children who could be three or four really on the ward, and that, that shouldn't be that uncommon. You know, most people are going to see a breastfed toddler in their career. So breastfeeding problems are going to be different depending on where you are in your breastfeeding journey. You know, if, if we're talking about a three-day-old with jaundice, that'll be very different to a three-month-old with sepsis or a six-month-old who's got cerebral palsy following a history of prematurity. And that will be very different from an 18-month-old who's in for adenotonsillectomy. So it depends where you are on your breastfeeding journey. And that's why I love pediatrics, because of the variety. But that also is why breastfeeding becomes quite difficult to manage because of all of those different ages. But then on top of that, again, I've mentioned the differences with the neonatal population. In the neonatal population, although children can present with a vast range of different complications and comorbidities as a result of prematurity, it's often quite a well-trodden path. In pediatrics, as you know, we can see children for you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of different conditions. And often the ward will be full of children with quite disparate conditions all at the same time, who all might present with different ages. And all of those breastfeeding dyads are going to have their own unique challenges and difficulties. So there's all of that. And then we've got things like the way their condition interacts with breastfeeding. So do they have respiratory compromise? And that, is that going to mean that they pop on and off the breast and don't feed effectively? And that messes up the, you know, their fluid balance and makes mothers engorged. We've got problems that affect the child primarily. We've also got problems that primarily affect the mother, things like engorgement, blocked ducts, blebs, nipple fissure, all sorts of things. And, and then we've got the different types of conditions and the treatments for those conditions. So for example, 
Are we hyperhydrating a child? Are we fluid restricting a child? Is that going to impact the way in which they're able to breastfeed? Are they in pain? Do they have to be fasted for surgery? Have they got lines, ports, wounds, drains, cannulas, all sorts of things? So pediatric breastfeeding is actually really quite complicated because of the different ages, different conditions, different situations and contexts. And then all of the different ways in which we manage children who are unwell as well. And all of those problems are often quite unique to pediatrics. So, for example, some of my research has found that the problems that mothers are experiencing and telling me about are not problems that are talked about in the neonatal population or the healthy term population at any age. So even a healthy two-year-old will not have the same experiences or challenges with breastfeeding as a two-year-old with cancer, for example. They're going to have very different challenges. So it, we could talk about that all day because that's a, that's a complicated one. Yeah, it sounds very complex and like one of those situations where it really does become about finding specific personalised solutions. So yeah, whilst I'd love to talk to you about it for longer, we're actually out of time for part one of this podcast, but we really hope listeners can join us again next week, where we're going to be exploring a little bit more about the challenges of breastfeeding for hospitalised children and looking at some of the solutions we could be thinking about as healthcare professionals to support this. So we really hope you can join us then. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods. We would love to get your feedback about the episode and get your ideas for future topics that you would like to hear covered. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.